I wanted to do the reading first because I, I personally think that this reading uh, is quite an exciting one. It's a very unusual one. Uh, it's a hard one to begin to imagine what it must have been like. We are, of course, uh, one Sunday away from uh, what's well, the start of Lent this week, and it's quite, quite normal that on this Sunday we think about the Transfiguration. Um, and so that's what we're reflecting on. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 9. Uh, We're beginning at verse 28, and I want to ask you all, but particularly uh, children and young people, try to imagine what it might have been like to be in this scene, uh, to be one of the disciples and to see uh, what happened. Uh, I think it's it's one of those kind of crazy things, but absolutely brilliant. Uh, So uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his, fi- of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time that they had seen. Imagine telling no one about what you'd seen when you'd seen that. Just keeping that quietly to yourselves and not telling anyone. I think it's an absolutely remarkable scene uh, for us to kind of reflect on and think about this particular Sunday Jesus, we acknowledge that all the praise is yours and you deserve all the highest praise. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are in our lives. We thank you for all that you do for us. And we just pray that in these moments, as we look at the story of the transfiguration, would you turn our eyes uh, fully to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I should have uh, said at the beginning, and I forgot, uh, you may have been expecting a baptism this morning. This is the baptism that was postponed from last week to this week, has now been postponed again, uh, because now Liam, who we were going to be baptizing, has got COVID as well. So do please pray for the family. Uh, We will hopefully be baptizing Liam at some point in the near future uh, in more details when we know them, but that's just to make you aware. So one of the uh, absolute uh, joys and at the same time challenges of preaching through the lectionary is that you often find yourself uh, preaching on passages that you may not choose to preach uh, if you were making those choices. And one of the other joys and challenges of preaching through the lectionary is that at certain times of year you'll end up at the same passage uh, a few times every, or you know, uh, every year you'll end up in the same passage. And every time you've got to ask yourself the question, I think, what's the one fresh thing that God you're bringing out of this this time that what 
wasn't brought out last time. What, what do you want to say in this moment uh, through this passage? What are you saying uh, through a passage that is familiar to many of us, albeit uh, quite an unusual one? And last year we focused very much, you may remember, on, on the response of the disciples and that that gut response that seemed to be let's build altars but actually was was a very natural response for for them as Jews because that's what Jewish people did when something significant happened they would build an altar uh, to symbolize that that had happened and so their response was very understanding even though they didn't know what they were saying and we looked at that a lot last time and I was particularly struck this time about the fact that the disciples were sleepy. I don't know why I didn't notice that last time, but I did this time. But I'm not going to focus on that. What I want to focus on uh, this morning is the significance of who it is that appears with Jesus and why that's so significant and what it tells us about Jesus, what it tells us about who he is. Uh, and hopefully a way that's just going to inspire us to be more in love with him than we, were before, than we are right now. My hope is that in, in the next 15 minutes you'll fall more in love with Jesus because of the story of the transfiguration. Because that's certainly what's happened for me this week as I've reflected on it again. And I really hope that's, that's true for you as well. When it comes to the time of Passover, uh, Jewish people up and down the, or throughout the world will be gathering around for a significant meal. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with what goes on at a Passover meal. Uh, so much of what they do is symbolic and representative of so many things about Israel's history, their past, about God's relationship uh, with the people of Israel, his chosen people. There are elements of the meal that are deeply symbolic. There are things that they do. It's a very sensory experience, particularly for the children, deliberately so, so that they can learn and understand the history of their people. Of, of how it is that God has worked in the lives of the people of Israel. They will have the table laid in a very particular way with very particular items to represent very particular things. And they will do things throughout the course of the meal that will remind them of how good God is and how faithful he's been to them as the people of Israel. To remind them particularly, obviously, of the story of Passover uh, from Exodus. A story that I'm sure you're very familiar with indeed. And as they're laying the table and getting things ready, they will lay an extra place, a chair that will remain empty. And in front of that chair will be laid a place setting, will be placed a cup that will later be filled with wine, uh, as it's one of the important cups to remember the Passover. And that empty space, that space is there reserved for the prophet Elijah. It is a firm belief that the prophet Elijah is going to foretell the way of Jesus. Uh, and that comes from uh, a prophecy that uh, comes from the book of Malachi uh, in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's the very last word that God speaks before the 400 year silence. So the very last thing that the people of Israel hear the prophet say is this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. They were the last words heard for 400 years. And so those of a Jewish faith and Jewish tradition are awaiting that day. And so a place setting is, is laid for Elijah. There's a point in the, in the evening where there'll be a knock on the door and the children will answer the door hoping that it's Elijah at the door or seeing if it's him. Uh, but it, it's not him. And it won't be him because he's already come. He's already been. 
Let's look at Elijah just a minute because I think this uh, is significant that it's Elijah that we see appearing beside Jesus. And so here is Elijah. Uh, Elijah, known to us as a great prophet, uh, he was a significant prophet in the, uh, in the history of Israel, not just for, for who he was, but for what he spoke. He spoke incredible prophecies throughout history. Uh, he saw God do amazing things. I mean, some of the stories of Elijah, which you may be familiar with, particularly the story of the prophets of Baal and what happened there, absolutely incredible scenes where uh, he, he basically challenged these, these people who were claiming that Baal was God uh, to, to get their God to do something. And they couldn't do it. But the moment Elijah asked the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to do it, God did it because that God is real. Uh, And he proved beyond a shadow of doubt. And hundreds of people gave their lives over to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through what Elijah saw God do, through his faith. And then that's followed almost instantly by a huge bout of depression and anxiety. Uh, Elijah goes into a really deep-set depression. He disappears off to the mountains. He believes hundreds of lies about himself, that, that everyone's against him, that he's the last remaining prophet, which isn't true, that everyone's trying to kill him, which isn't true. Some people are trying to kill him. He is on the run, but not everybody. And he's struggling, and he's in pain, and he's in anguish, and he has this incredible encounter with God on the mountainside where First of all, before anything else, God says to him, Elijah, have you slept? Have you eaten? Have you drunk? Just so he dealt with the very human element of Elijah in a really beautiful, personal way, dealing with the, the, some of the causes and the effects of Elijah's depression. And then he spoke in the still, small voice. We know not the thunder, the earthquake. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But in the still, small voice, God spoke to Elijah. And then Elijah's death is shrouded in mystery. It's one of the most bizarre and mysterious stories of the Old Testament where Elijah doesn't die, he gets taken up uh, in this kind of whirlwind. And, And that's kind of the last we hear of him until we get these words in Malachi prophesying that he's going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And here he is in plain sight for those three disciples beside Jesus, talking, conversing, discussing what's about to happen. As we approach Lent and approach Holy Week, we know where that's heading. We know what they were talking about. For the disciples, I can't begin to imagine what they overheard, how much they overheard. They were tired. We don't know how much they overheard. We don't know specifically what was said. But all we know is that they were talking about what was to come. Elijah here is preparing the way for the Messiah. He is saying, I am here because he is here. (laughs) Because the whole purpose of the prophets of the Old Testament was calling people to repentance and pointing them to the coming Messiah. And so here is Elijah, the great prophet, considered one of the greatest, stood beside Jesus, saying, I am here because he is here. He has come. There are some others who say that John the Baptist plays a significant part in this as well. uh, And it's very hard to understand theologically exactly what's going on there when Jesus says that John the Baptist has come to prepare the way. There are streams and elements that actually there's something significant in that. But either way, they're pointing to Jesus. Significantly pointing to Jesus. It is not a coincidence and it's not insignificant that Elijah the prophet, who was the one who was going to prepare the way, is stood beside Jesus in the transfiguration. 
He was not chosen at random out of a list of prophets. It couldn't have been Isaiah. It had to be Elijah. Because he was the one who was preparing the way. And then we have Moses. I love that it's Moses. I don't know why I love that it's Moses, but I just love that it's Moses. Uh, You all know the story of Moses. I mean, every Sunday school uh, in this country teaches the story of Moses from a very young age. It doesn't tell the whole story. Like Elijah, Moses was far from perfect. He was very human. He had his own brokenness. Um, He had his own hurt and pain and, and things that he was running away from before God called him to his greater purpose, his greater identity. And even then he had doubts and uncertainties about the fact that God could use him and would use him. And then he does. And we see God do a miraculous thing. I always think the most amazing thing about Moses, and I think particularly for us, if you're someone who's struggling to know that you have purpose in the kingdom of God, when God says to Moses, just simply, what's in your hand? And Moses says, I have a staff. And God says, let's use that. I think it's so good for us as Christians to know that God can use whatever we have. Uh, But anyway, that's an aside. Uh, Moses uh, goes on to do the incredible things that that we know him do, the parting of the Red Sea, the the freeing of the people of Israel from slavery to freedom, leading them through uh, the wilderness, uh, seeing God do amazing things. There there, there was no surprise for Moses to see Jesus glowing radiantly, brilliantly. Moses was very familiar with things glowing radiantly and brilliantly when it came to the things of God. He had been there himself. He had seen that glory uh, and had perceived that glory to others. And then the Ten Commandments and everything we know that Moses is there for. He was an incredible person, a significant person in the history of Israel, the first leader, essentially, of the people of Israel, aside from God himself, uh, and led them to freedom and didn't quite make it to the promised land himself before he uh, passed away. Uh, And here he is appearing beside Jesus. Again, no coincidence. It is significant that Moses is there because of what he represents, because of what he shows uh, of who God is and how God is at work and how God is setting his people free. And I was thinking, God, why uh, particularly uh, is it important that we understand that Moses is there beside Jesus? What is it about that that we need to understand? And then as I've been reflecting personally through Hebrews, I came across this in Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm going to read this, and I'm hopefully just going to let this sit and let this land, and hopefully this is going to be... I'm going to pray this as an eye-opening moment for the significance of Elijah and Moses being stood beside Jesus. Because as great as Elijah is, uh, he was a prophet. He was a man. He was a prophet. And as great as Moses was, he was a leader and a prophet, but he was, he was Moses. But let's focus in on who's front and center of the transfiguration right now. There's Elijah. There's Moses talking about and talking to and talking with Jesus, front and center of this scene. And let's let these words of Hebrews chapter 3 ring in our ears with our eyes fixed on the one who's in the middle. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house was greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying what would be said in the future. But Christ 
is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Is there a greater call today than to hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast? We don't boast in Elijah. We don't boast in Moses. We boast in Jesus. Elijah was a great prophet. His purpose to call people back to God. Moses was a great leader. His purpose to lead people to God. Jesus is God. Jesus, front and center, is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last, the King of Kings, the Prince of Princes, the Lord of Lords. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one for whom we live and breathe and have our being. He is the, the creator of the world. He, even just by his very words, he spoke creation into being. He is the Word. He is the living God. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. He is the one. Front and center. And Elijah and Moses, almost with this sense of absolute privilege to be the ones, be there, have the conversation where Jesus is saying to them, now is the time. God's salvation plan is happening. Everything you guys have been preparing for, everything you've been leading people to, everything you've been prophesying throughout your generations, everyone who's come to believe in what you prophesied over the years, it's happening now. It's about to happen now. Can you imagine the excitement of Elijah and Moses? Uh, Elijah, who, who disappeared mysteriously, we don't know what happened afterwards. Moses, who never got to see the promised land is now stood beside Jesus, the one who's greater even than he. And they're getting to look forward to what Jesus is about to do, almost like he's revealing the secret to them and saying, look, it's about to happen. And the disciples witnessed this. I can't begin to imagine what that was like as we talked about last year. But really, I just think the call of this story of the transfiguration that we know so well I love the story of Elijah. I really do. And I really connect with Elijah and we can really connect with his, his depression and his victory. But he, he was a man. I love the story of Moses. All of us, I'm sure, can relate to the story of Moses in many, many ways. And we love learning it and teaching it. And Moses was just a man. Jesus, however, is God himself. And this season of exalting, or this scene of, of exaltation, as Jesus is glowing like lightning, I mean bright lightning, his robes or his clothes glowing bright white, and then we have the words of God spoken to the disciples in this thick cloud. At this point, Moses and Elijah have moved away. So all that's left is Jesus and those three disciples in the cloud. And then the voice of God says, this is my son. Listen to him. I think it's no coincidence that we've heard that word a lot over the past few weeks. 
It's come up in almost every passage we've had in some form or another. This is my son. Listen to him. Do what he says. He is the one. Elijah has prepared the way. Moses has led people to know God. And now here is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one in whom we live and breathe and have our being. Fix your eyes on him. Listen to him. And as Christ is faithful, as a son over God's house, may we remember that we are that house that he is sovereign over. We are his people. And our call in these times of uncertainty is to hold on to our courage and our hope of which we boast. We don't boast in Elijah. We don't boast in Moses. We boast in Jesus. He's the one. And as we've been saying, and I'm going to keep saying, following Jesus is not a hobby. He is your everything. Our everything. Our all in all. He is the one for whom it's all about. And we need to remind ourselves that if we're going to sum up the truth of the good news of Jesus, not that you really can, but it is summed up as Jesus is Lord. And if he's not Lord of your life right now, you need him to be. He deserves to be. And so, Jesus, we declare that you are Lord. We don't want to look to the left or to the right. We want our eyes to be fixed on you, our true north. Our true purpose. The one who was and is and is to come. And as we see you more radiantly in our own lives, may we hear your voice and do what you ask. We surrender to you again and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I just sense God reminding us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that if you're feeling right now that, that the Lord is, is it, that Jesus isn't Lord of your life and you're feeling kind of really guilty about that, Jesus is saying, no, 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 see it as an invitation. The invitation is to know me as Lord. And to know that what he has for us is God's best for us. So if you're here this morning and you know you need to surrender or perhaps re-surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus.
And I've just got this out. I don't know if it's, if it's right. That, that, that Maybe the disciples by this stage had, had become quite familiar with Jesus. And they, they recognized him and they, they knew him and they knew him well. But they were almost more awestruck at first of seeing Moses and Elijah. And thinking, wow, there's, there's Elijah, there's Moses. This is unbelievable. But then Jesus is exalted higher and made more radiant. And then the voice of heaven speaks, this is my son, listen to him. That maybe for someone here this morning that actually, that, that there's almost like a calling back to that, that sovereignty of Jesus, that that wonder of Jesus. It's that perfect combination of friendship and the fear that we can have with Jesus. And so I just want to ask God, would you help us to have that balance right of the friendship and the fear of who you are? That wonder and that awe, yet that intimacy and the closeness that we can have. And that maybe we've been, uh, for someone here, you've been looking for something that's already happened. (laughs) That you're looking for Elijah to come, but he's already been, and Jesus has already come. Or you're looking for a promised land and Jesus has already come. And so Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for what you've already done. For what you are doing and for what you're going to do and for the promise of what you're going to do. And so we ask that you help us to turn our eyes to you. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to the courage and hope of which we boast. May we boast all the more in Jesus.